The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Brothers and sisters of the Dark Lord, this is the Brandon Peters Show, back with another segment of Products of the Panic. And of course, that means I have brought out my warehouse manufactured retail store bought Parker Brothers Ouija board and summoned up the Saturday evening post, Troy Brownfield. Thank you, Brandon. Oh, I'm terrific. I'm very excited to get back into this. For those of you who may have missed the first one, this is the second one. I'm not going to explain these every time, but this is the product (laughs) of the panic reflecting on things that happened during the satanic panic era of the 1980s. Uh, We recently went through a church-made heavy metal is the devil, y'all. Or no, basically pop music is the devil. You know, misbehaving is the only song allowed to be around. And we went through that back in November. We took a little break. Uh, we gave Jesus his time in in uh, December, you know, and then uh, my time in January. But we're here in February to kick off some fire. And uh, this is not always going to be about movies or documentaries. There are going to be other little topics and thingies. I don't know. We're talking about a news story from 60 Minutes today. This is uh, the famous 60 Minutes with Ed Bradley covering Dungeons and Dragons and the Dangers of for your kids from 1985. The game is called Dungeons and Dragons D&D and it's become popular with children anywhere from grammar school on up. Not so with a lot of adults who think it's been connected to a number of suicides and murders. The idea of the game, which is played by highly imaginative and intelligent kids, is to assume the role of one of the characters. One game can go on for weeks or even months. The problem seems to be that some kids take it more seriously than others, take it a step further, playing a character who brings them the power in a game they couldn't possibly get in real life. Troy, I don't, I was alive, I was three years old when this aired, but were you like aware of this story as it happened or was it like a looking back and how'd it go for you? I was aware, you know, it, it's it's funny because you you talk to people who were teens at the time. And some people have radically different perspectives on it. And part of it depends on where you live, that you maybe didn't experience it at all. And sometimes you experienced a lot of it. And I feel like I, living in Indiana, experienced a fair deal of it. But then I was naturally interested when this stuff would show up on TV. Mm-hmm. And 60 Minutes was, you know, right after football. So <laughs> he would... <laughs> <laughs> sometimes catch like you know the top four stories are going to be this and there was a lot of <clears throat> discussion around the fact that the D story was happening it was a thing that was promoted and a thing that was talked about you know 60 minutes is digging into it because they and still are in many ways their programs over 50 years old they're held up as a archetype of investigative reporting and sometimes uh confrontational reporting 
the uh, famous SNL sketch with uh, Martin Short as the nervous lawyer is a 60 minutes sketch. They're you know famous mm-hmm. for putting people on the griddle and talking to corrupt people and everything. So it seems 60 minutes is your go-to <laughs> if you want to expose you know something radically evil in the mid 80s. The mm-hmm. thing of course is they're not actually exposing a thing that's radically evil. <laughs> right. So it, it becomes this kind of artifact. I mean, you and I were talking ahead of the, the program. Um, Ed Bradley was one of the, you know, big three, four, you had your morally safe, your Mike Wallace, your Ed Bradley, really big names associated with the show. But um, for viewers that might not know, Bradley was a, a legendary journalist. He shot more than 500 segments for 60 minutes. Um, Cat won 19 Emmys, Peabody Award. He's the first black reporter to cover the White House. Um, he was at the fall of Saigon. And he wasn't totally unhip. He was the first uh, male correspondent to wear a visible earring. Mm, on yeah, air. yeah, yeah. You know, he was big into jazz. When he died, they had a giant jazz parade in New Orleans for him. I mean, so <laughs> there, there's a lot of cool stuff about Ed Bradley. He's, but this is not one of them. This is not. <laughs> it's just really unfortunate that this is the this is the thing that people will see and they'll think of Ed Bradley. Like I can think of this report a lot, but whenever I go back to it, I'm like, oh yeah, it was Ed Bradley who did this? Like it doesn't go together. It's a, yeah. it's a square peg in a or a square peg in a circular peg hole or whatever. But yeah. Yeah, if if it happened on 60 Minutes today, you would be just as mystified if Anderson Cooper was the guy doing right. the segment. Because right. it, it just <laughs> it does it I remember seeing the thing and, and whatnot, but then it doesn't square with my memory of Bradley at mm. all. <laughs> no, so. no, it doesn't. <clears throat> but so. he he's all in here. Like he's it, it's strange. It's like it's like I don't like stop it, Ed Bradley. I believe you're better than this. Um, yeah, and I, and I have a theory on this, and kind of a double-sided theory. Number one, uh, Bradley was not a parent. In fact, he never had kids. But mm-hmm. I kind of feel like they interviewed uh, Patricia Pulling first. Mm-hmm. And here's a woman who recently lost her son. It's only been a couple of years at this point. It's still her, her grief is obviously still a raw nerve that she's got a mission. And I really do believe that colored the perception of the rest of the, how the report was conducted. Gotcha. And yeah, I think that's unfortunate. <laughs> do you think <laughs> like, so this, the, the, according to my, what I've looked up and I'm not going to claim master researcher here on this, <laughs> but uh, the, the credited reporter for this is morally safer. So I don't know anything about like what his agenda could be. You know, more morally safer is, you know, in the context of then, the context of now, I think of him as an old guy. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't say that as a knock or ageist or whatever, but there really is a breaking point when certain people just don't understand the thing they're talking about. Right. And when you have, on one hand, a grief-stricken mother, and on the other hand, a bunch of kids saying, no, we're really fine, who is the older journalist going to lean toward 
in that situation, even though you're trying to maintain objectivity and have the best of journalistic intentions. It feels like maybe something happened. (laughs) Yeah, maybe like this could be kind of the equivalent of uh, like Mark Zuckerberg with all the old white politician men like, what a Facebook does what? Now now, say my WhatsApp (laughs) does that, like kind of the equivalent of... They don't know what they're talking about, but they want to somehow control the narrative or the conversation here journalistically. Yeah. And, and there's another element in the mix, a, a spoiler that's got his own problems, which is Thomas Rudecky, who mm-hmm. um, was already known for um, founding the National Coalition on Television Violence. Right. And, um, who was a big cultural critic, but... I'll save the surprise for later. <laughs> okay. So like my my thing is too like yeah, was did some body with deep pockets whether it be some sort of Christian coalition, the the uh, bad or whatever or is that what it was called bad? Yeah. Um, that was Pulling's group. Or the, or the the TV violence guy like did somebody coerce somebody at 60 minutes to run a story like this? Like that's I don't know. It, it, it's interesting in the context of all the news programs of the '80s because I can't think of a single one that took up for role-playing games. Mm-hmm. Not even to you know hilariously play the devil's advocate. <laughs> right. Nobody really stepped up and said it's just a game, man. Yeah. Um, there, there wasn't a cultural force that you would have now. Mm-hmm. If this sort of thing happened now, which things being as they are, could very easily happen, you're going to have um, a variety of actors and musicians and filmmakers and novelists that will take up for this as an imagination building, teamwork building, fundamental exercise of imagination. It's right. You know, they're going to be there you're going to have a lot of people that are in the corner of it. And then there weren't, mm-hmm. if you think about it, same, same rough period of time, the uh, PMRC inspired hearings about the record industry on Capitol Hill, three people showed up. Right. Yeah. D Snyder, Frank Zappa and John Denver. And nobody showed up for Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. And Dungeons and Dragons at this point, it, how old was it exactly? Um, Guy Gax and Arneson, Dave Arneson, created it in 74. In 77, they did the rule split, which was designed to make it more accessible to younger players. So you had the AD&D and the, the basic set. And AD&D, hey, went to the... Props for the, uh, for the YouTube. Hardback books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are from 77 to 79. They did these in the player's manual. So AD&D was coming out of this, and they made a basic box set for the younglings. And then uh, they revised the basic set in 81. But there's a few things going on culturally that kind of helped it blow up. And um, one of them was the fact that in in the late 70s, you had this boom in Science fiction and fantasy. Right. Started with Star Wars, goes into Conan and yeah, the Slayer episode with talk about the sword and sorcery boom of the 1980s. I wrote about it for the post. So that's going on. 
you have uh, the proliferation of malls in the United States. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these malls had a beat out in the Walden books or some kind of gaming store in them that kids in, you know, freaking Iowa could go to the mall. And if they had a Walden books, they could get D and D stuff. It used to be, you know, very special to gaming stores and not as the reach was not as profound. And by the time you have places you can actually go and buy it, you're talking three and four million people are playing it. And it doesn't hurt that the kids are playing D&D and E.T. Yeah. You know, so this is 1982. So it's squarely in. Oh, my God. This game looks awesome. Where can I get it? The mall? (laughs) You know, and so all of these things kind of stack. Those kids claim to seen an alien. Yeah. Okay. So that look what it did to them. Yeah, that that was drugs. Is they that the adva- is that the advanced part of Dungeons and Dragons? Aliens? The, you, I thought you were saying the drugs. The oh aliens. yeah, <laughs> both. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so this story is also it's coming out three years after Mazes and Monsters, which yeah. was in. You can go back to my old show called Cinema Cavalcade and hear all about that, which I think we have dropped that before. And that was James about based off James Dallas Egbert the third, which they don't mention at all here uh, in this story, and right. and uh, so it's almost like well that movie didn't work, so let's try a factual uh, hit news piece or something kind of. But uh, this story focuses on just slightly dropping about murders and suicides, interviewing upset parents uh and and grilling the dungeons and dragons uh one of the co-creators and i think the is it the ceo they have with them yeah Yeah. and but they never grill the parents to anything else like they always ask the dungeons and dragons guys like it's this it's this but they never ask the parents do you think perhaps this so it's this definitely slanted piece that's like your kids may be doing it and you don't even know um yeah and that's i I mean yeah oh go ahead go ahead no no that's it i mean they 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 first they they show kids playing it and it looks like they're in these like kind of not really hidden rooms but like where no one else is and they have kids explaining the game to them uh they do get some kid opinions about dungeons and dragons throughout to make it kind of look like is but it's more in a like oh those poor innocent kids that just don't know type thing but they do call them yeah. highly imaginative and intelligent kids and there's no board only dice i do i do like that they were talking about the game they give an like uh, ed bradley gives his overview and then he talks about the type of characters in it and he sandwiches in gods and devils into the character mix which when i think of dungeons and dragons i'm like Sure, that's part of it, but I don't, you know, that's not the big sell of characters. Like, there's like, duh, you know, dragons and barbarians and wizards and gods and devils and um, harpies and, blah, you know, like, that's kind of how he slips it in. I'm like, he had, they had to list gods and devils to get the church people's attention right there. Because if you hear of fiction using gods and devils, then it's bad fiction. That's what I would assume trying to get on their side with that. Yeah, what's kind of funny is, and I'm just going to the the monster manual here. You know, you had a a devil section mm-hmm. um, with you know Asmodeus and 
Beelzebub and whatnot. But hilariously and alphabetically, kind of like right after that, they have just as many pages of dinosaurs <laughs> as potential monsters with stats. Right. And then they do have, you know, the kind of the the weird classes and the Lovecraft inspired. So it's mm-hmm. it's not just that now they did have the um, my background there is from the DDs and demigods handbook. So they did a whole handbook on that, mm-hmm. but they're also doing handbooks on multiple things. Cause some people are into this part. Some people are into this part and the DDs and demigods was really a way to position it closer to mythology. It's got a lot of mythological characters in it, right? but it, the original version also included um, Lovecraft's Cthulhu mythos. And after that original version, Chaosium did the call of Cthulhu game and wrapped them up in a trademark associated with the game. So TSR has never reprinted the Lovecraft Pantheon. Mm, okay. So you did have these kind of, you know, gods and devils, but it was only if you chose to emphasize that part. If you wanted right. the Tolkien-esque trolls and evil wizards and everything, you got that. If you wanted, you know, werewolf-style campaign, you got that. They didn't go more into the horror thing into like the Ravenloft stuff. Yeah, Ravenloft. That was my cup. That was I I love that stuff. The vampires and stuff. It was hard though. That's yeah. My, whenever but, I, but yeah, it's uh it, it's kind of telling when they talk to uh, Patricia Pulling there. Um mm-hmm. she's like my son had no problems and whatever and and when I hear that it just sounds like an alarm because every kid's got problems. Mm-hmm. And that just sounds like you're in really super huge denial that and you you know the Egbert case when we talked about that with respect to mazes and monsters mm-hmm. that kid had a lot of issues and had a lot of therapy and you know dealing with issues of sexuality and so forth that he was grappling with these things he wasn't talking to his parents about and was prone to disappearing he had, mm-hmm. he had, he had disappeared more than once prior to the <laughs> You know, the Mazes of Monsters disappearance. Right. So, yeah. I want to go back to Irving Lee Bink Pulling, who his mother is a prime focus of this uh, article uh, or this this piece. Her name was Pat, I believe. Pat Pulling, yeah. So, uh, according to this, they say he was 16 years old. It was suicide. He shot himself on June 9th of 1982, uh, quote unquote, Hours after a D&D curse was placed on him during a game conducted at his local high school. So in the Bad's primer, Pulling reprints 14 of 20 column inches of a uh, August 83 story concerning the Pulling's lawsuit against the school where the game was played against and against TSR. Uh, Mm -hmm. the, The article notes that Bink Pulling had trouble fitting in and became dejected when he was unable to find a campaign manager when he ran for school office. Shortly before his death, he wrote, Life is a joke on the blackboard in one of his classes, one classmate said. Uh, In the section of the article pulling did not print, the following appeared. He had a lot of problems anyway that weren't associated with the game, said Victoria Rockacharlie, another classmate of pullings in the Talented and Gifted program. Though she presents herself as taken utterly unaware by her son's death, at least in bad publications, Mrs. Pulling was aware of her son's problems. Uh, during a seminar given at the North, Carol- North Colorado-South Wyoming Detective Association in September of 86, 
She said her son had been displaying lycanthropic tendencies, like running around the backyard barking. Within the month before his death, 19 rabbits Bink had raised were inexplicably torn apart and a cat was found disemboweled with a knife. So it seems very clear he was a disturbed youth beyond Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Like, and it, it, yeah. And I believe it's his sister that they ask in this. Like, they're like, tell him what he said. Tell him what he said. And she's like crying and says, uh, that like he he said that uh, he would kill me if uh, I told them he was playing Dungeons and Dragons like his parents. I'm like, obviously you had a tr- fucked up kid and you took the thing he liked from him. Yeah, and then we're gonna punish him if he played it. That's a call. Like that could have happened if it was a video game or or a model collection or something like. And it's interesting when you mentioned that that was at a uh, private investigators conference mm-hmm. um, later in the eighties, Pauline gets herself a private investigators license and begins consulting with police departments on mm. wait for it. What kind of cases, Brandon, what kind oh, of cases? God. Dungeons and yes. Dragons. Yeah. Well, not nope, just nope. Dungeons and Dragons, but satanic. Uh, satanic. Oh, possession. Yeah. Occult. occult. So, and I got to read this because this is great. As the popularity of D&D and other role-playing games increased, Pauline's views and statements were increasingly called into question. She actually co-wrote a book called The Devil's Web, Who Is Stalking Your Children for Satan. Oh, Jesus. Published in 89. Um, so Pauline once told a newspaper reporter that 8% of the people living in Richmond, Virginia were Satanists. She had arrived at that figure, she explained, by estimating that 4% of adults and 4% of teenagers were involved with Satanism and added those to get 8%. When the reporter informed her that was still 4%, not 8 she claimed it didn't matter because even 8% was a conservative figure. Uh, that appeared in the Richmond News Leader in 1989. All, all the people are saying. Everybody's talking people, about. All the people are saying 8%, maybe 16%. If you could see all this evidence. <laughs> yeah, like it's there's a lot of stretching like they they name these kids and we're going to talk about them because I want to talk about what they say and what was true just like I did with Mr. Bink here. They go they name they name drop about 5 kids and they go and the list goes on and I'm like does it because I looked at cases associated with Dungeons and Dragons, and there are a total of like twelve with potential. Mm-hmm. Twelve. That's not a list going on and on and on. And mind you, at this time the story is happening. They claim between three and four million kids are actively playing Dungeons and Dragons. All right, and that's based on sales data. That's. I don't know when I want to tell you what a percent 12 is of that. You probably want a case of the Dungeons and Dragons than you would COVID. You probably would want a case of D&D fever more than you want COVID. But like, and they're they pushing it on the, uh, the guys from Dungeons and Dragons who are like, guys, like this is ridiculous. No, like they're, they're like, well, like, you know, People play Monopoly. They don't go blaming bankruptcy. You know, and they're like, and, and Ed Bradley's like, that is not the same. 
That is, yeah. not, is like, this is, are you joking here? It's like, what are you fucking bringing to me, man? Like, like, it's like all these kids died and they, they found out they all had cinnamon toast crunch in their pantry. Like, it's stretching. Like, it's uh, as unscientific as you can get, this whole thing. Yeah. Well, there, there's a lot of interesting issues tied up with it. There's There's certainly a level of parental guilt, I think. Mm-hmm. Any parent is going to feel guilt. When oh, and the Dungeons dies. and Dragons guys throw that out there, like, Ooh. yeah, yeah, like any parent's going to feel guilt. But the '80s are famous for unengaged parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all the memes and so forth about Gen X being lashkey kids and everything—that's all some true shit. And it, <laughs> it goes back to the workforce had changed. It was an expectation that both parents worked. There's a lot of, you know, especially in the cities, you've got. A lot of office-related jobs, it's upward mobility. People are expecting longer hours. Kids are often fending for themselves and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And if something goes wrong, it's not my fault because I was at a job and not seeing my kid for 60 hours a week. It's your fault. Yeah, they got to find a blame. They have to have an answer for something that they don't have an answer for or it's them. Yeah. You know, and like if you got a mentally troubled kid probably not going to have the answers for it i'm sorry it might not even be your fault it's just that's things it's tough like but they want a they want a reason and that comes from like a lot of a lot of like religion promises a reason for everything and there isn't a reason for everything in life and that's where in a strong church going decade of people and being led by and sold and promoted with a ton of like large faith-based stuff christianity yeah. wise they think there's a reason for everything or an answer and then this is <laughs> i guess for 12 people this is it like well, yeah there, there's also an interesting either or with everything that's associated with the satanic panic right if you think of horror novels and movies if you think of role-playing games if you think mm-hmm. of metal and all of this stuff it's all the siren song of the outsider people who don't feel like they fit in have always been drawn to that kind of stuff. Yeah. The music may shift from decade to decade. It may go from punk to metal to gothy stuff. to alternative, whatever, but outsider kids always go to outsider music and outsider entertainment. Mm-hmm. And if there's a uniform or anything that goes with it, it makes them more obvious of a target <laughs> and it makes right. the stuff that they're into more obvious. The stuff didn't change your kid. Your kid found something that appealed to them or that they fit in. And now you attack that rather than the cause of why your kid is removed, disturbed, upset, mm-hmm. depressed, whatever. And, you know, particularly in, it was funny in the eighties, the parents were all in, therapy but nobody wanted to put the kids in therapy the kids just need to right. step out of it. right yeah so uh one of our other victims who drop uh timothy grice who is 21 that's a full-on adult but yeah. he's here with the kids he uh committed suicide by shotgun the detective uh, the report on this says the detective notes D became a reality well that's not the full quote from the detective the detective's full quote not used in this segment uh was D became a reality he thought he was not constrained to this life, but could leave and return because of the game. Now, his mother penned a note uh, during uh, with 
association with all this. And she said, there's been a great deal of publicity nationwide attributing my the death of my son, Tim Grice, to the influence of Dungeons and Dragons. Nothing could be further from the truth, and I have steadfastly maintained so to the press who have contacted me. Dungeons and Dragons gave him many hours of pleasure. It was a delight to watch he and his friends play. It would not have been his intent in any way to have his death reflect negatively upon you, your company, or your outlets, or your creative outlets for others. That's this is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> cat. There's, that's as perfect as an assessment as you can really think of. Um, and I, I don't mean, to, I'm not trying to be glib or funny or anything about the suicide. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. It's awful whenever mm-hmm. anyone feels driven to do this. But I can't help but notice that no one kills themselves in a D&D like fashion. No, it's, it's yeah, it's. It's like you shot yourself in the chest. You killed yourself with a shotgun. Nobody's setting up a guillotine. Nobody's killing themselves with a battle axe. Nobody's running themselves through with the sword they bought at a convention. Jumping into the pit of despair. Like, no, it's it, yeah, good it's, old fashioned American yeah. steel. Pam. Yeah. And it's it's horrible, but it's that would be the first thing. You would look at you you look at that kind of stuff when you're trying to establish motive. We're trying to establish if the same killer did mm-hmm. it. You know, stabbing is personal. It's the same shoe print, whatever, you know, kind of things. There, there's no causality in it at all. There's no. Yeah. This super causal. creative outlet has the most uncreative conventional suicides. And I, I'm not trying to belittle. I'm trying mm. to play this as looking at the situation as a, a case uh, yeah. or something like that. But they're not killing themselves in any. They're just. De- offing themselves and it, and they happen to play Dungeons and Dragons like that's um, even crazier this other one that Daniel and Steve and Irwin uh, they were 16 and 12 years old it was a murder suicide uh, the police said that they were obsessed with the game bad blamed D&D this is when we're bad got involved uh, the kids had actually in real life they had a death pact uh, and the family denied anything to do with the D&D. Um, so two young brothers carried out a murder-suicide pact last fall because the older brother feared his sentencing in an auto-theft case, not because of the D&D fantasy game. Their mother said, the article went on to quote Daniel's suicide note, said, Dear Mom and Dad, I am sorry that it had to end this way, but things just came to a close. A man without his freedom is not a man at all. Therefore, this man is targeted for termination, and my goodbyes are now. So shall it be, love, Dan. Right there, it's not. It was never D and D from the start of this, but somehow police and bad twist it to D and D when clearly this guy didn't want to go to jail. Yeah, like it's insanity. Yeah, it, it's that's a I think a through line with the Satanic Panic. This certainly goes back to the video on music we watched previously, mm-hmm. and all of the books that you would find like uh, Maury Terry's the ultimate evil and so forth. They are, and, and even going all the way back to the fifties with, you know, where the seduction of the innocent, they are completely without citation. They don't provide evidence. They don't back anything up. They don't have real experts quoting on something. Everything's conjecture. And if it's not conjecture that leads to the conclusion that you wanted, it's discarded. Anybody that disagrees is, you know, they're their collaborator. <laughs> right. <laughs> which Thomas Radecki, 
who the national yes. council on television violence guy looks like uh, a real cool special. guy real cool yeah. guy he's currently in prison <laughs> do you know this brandon tell it um uh, I'm sure i do okay so so for uh for years he misrepresented his medical status he did have a medical license but he re- okay. he claimed to be on the university of illinois college of medicine now he was a clinician he was allowed to practice but he was not on the faculty which is a big huge distinction when you're in that field um that even caused him to have um in, in 92 the illinois department of professional regulation revoked his medical license for five years um because of this crap and also engaging in immoral conduct with patients oh and um there was some harassment stuff he resigned from the tv council um he uh started a surrogate parenting institute which is a fertility clinic and uh, he uh didn't get his medical license back because of claims associated with that and then he uh voluntarily surrendered his medical license in 2012 and i quote while facing allegations of unprofessional conduct with patients these allegations include that radecki traded drugs to patients for sex (laughs) and so he was uh these were opioid addiction treatment drugs that he ran in several counties for through a program he ran in several counties called doctors and lawyers for a drug-free youth um so in 2016 he got sentenced to uh 11 to 22 years and in uh, 2018 a judge rejected a sentence reduction request so this guy who spent all the 80s uh, testifying in trials at one point he introduced a letter um into evidence that suggested gaming caused death and it was a letter that was from mazes and monsters so it was a work of fiction it wasn't Mm. a real letter but he passed it off as you know that he he appeared and testified in these cases which is another thread like pat pulling did like michelle smith from michelle remembers and these people would testify as expert witnesses and made everything worse for everybody (laughs) but yeah so that guy with with his glasses and his like sensitive demeanor these kids are dying is out there trading drugs for sex and it always it always happens. It oh like oh, but they need like a a, lay, a Goodfellas Layla montage to the <laughs> what happened to the the faces of the satanic panic like moral majority <laughs> agenda stuff like that'd be yeah. great. Someone can make the, that please. I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now, but one I think might have been the one that wrote Satan's Underground, another recovered memories one. It was at the mm-hmm. same time as Michelle remembers. I think it was that writer. Don't. Yeah, I'm not saying for certainty, but I think it was her who got busted for it being a fabrication, kind of went away for a while and reinvented herself as a Holocaust survivor. Yeah, that's what you said. Yeah, yeah. I think you said that before. Yeah. That's, but yeah, they're awful. Awful people. Awful. Awful. The worst. (laughs) So this, another one they mentioned here, I'm going to keep segue to to the the people pointed out in this as D&D possessed them and made them do bad things. James Allen Kirby, 14 years old, killed his principal and wounded three other people. Police blame D&D. ABC's show 2020, after this, uh, 1986, did a report on this incident, and nowhere in that report is D&D mentioned or referred to. 
Uh, Kirby did not have an easy life. He was an outcast in school uh, and was beaten up every day. His teachers ignored him. His father never gave him any approval, and his mother just babied him. Kirby's psychologist explained the occurrence as Kirby's way of dealing with his father's rejection. And his father's name was not Dungeons nor Dragons. <laughs> so, again, parenting, uh, absent parenting, uh, part of the problem. Um, getting picked on at school, part of the problem, which, would, you know, that kind of stuff comes to a head in the 90s with Columbine, which can, that brings up another panic of sorts later on. Yeah. Um, well, I, I was thinking of Columbine while you were talking, you know, about that particular case, mm-hmm. the, the rush to figure out what happened afterwards where they were thrown around Manson and Ramstein and everything. Yeah, Ramstein, the matrix. In a lot of cases, these two guys didn't even listen to the music they were talking about. They weren't, right. they weren't fans. But they sure as hell were building bombs in their backyard, taking videotapes of it. Yeah. The parents knew that was going on. Right. It's all fun till it happens. Like, I, that's it. So, uh, on this, if we ever do something panic related with the Columbine stuff, um, back in high school, uh, I was a prolific high school filmmaker. Um, I was making a movie called Blinded by Rage, and it was a, uh, it was going to be for competition, state competition, media fair uh, throughout the nation, stuff like that. So you make a 10-minute film, submit it, blah, blah, blah. So me and my friends, we made like action horror movies, stuff like that. Uh, we made came up with this action movie where this uh, governor is coming to, and you got to fit it into your age range because that's who you can cast and stuff. But it was yeah. the governor of the state was coming to give a speech at a school, and it gets held hostage. All the, the terrorist guys take over for the janitors. They like, you know, dress up like the yeah. janitors and stuff and they, they call them hostage. And it, 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 spoiler, the the person who set it up is the uh, police FBI negotiator who was the guy who lost to him in the election because of photos. He, It's great. It's a great story. It's 10 minutes long. It's awesome. <laughs> um, it. We had actual, like, so we had my friend who was in my production team his father was a military collector and collected uh, replica weapons, actual uniforms, stuff like that. So we would always have cool-looking props for our action sequences. We were shooting this movie in the school. Um, this is uh, fall of 98 we're doing this. Uh, movie wrap production in January, was all this stuff. So we were we had a hallway shootout scene chasing through stuff. We had these... We have these things in the school. We're shooting these yeah. scenes. Principal, come by, sit to watch a few takes. He's like, I can't wait to see this. This is going to be great. You know, all yeah. like, oh, gung-ho about it. Uh, we released the movie. It, uh, we, well, we showed it in school. Like we had through all the, we broadcast it through school. They want us to show it. Uh, we went to the regional competition. Uh, we set the scoring record for regional competition uh, with Blinded by Rage. No one ever scored that high. We were in the 90s. No one ever got past 88. And a record that would hold and not be broken until I broke it the next year. But (laughs) so we go, and the week of the state competition, Columbine happens. This is like, my and my teacher is like, hey, let's, I'm really sorry. We just, let's skip state. 
we we can't go. I'm like, we're going to state. I'm taking my damn film. I worked so hard on this. He's like, it sucks, but I'm like, I'm going to read a letter beforehand. I, you know, I'm going to down, you know, say I don't condone violence. Or depicts that it's a coincidence. I don't think what they did. Yeah, I'll write a letter knowing it. Well, I end up placing like eighth there, but also. Meanwhile, behind the scenes at school, they're really curious about me. And all of a sudden, so I got a hall pass one day from, so my, my media teacher, he was also an English teacher and my, the librarian of the school were my reps. Uh, like he was really, um, he was very, very big mentor to me with making movies and stuff. And I edited stuff for school all the time outside of class. He ended up giving me an independent study award my senior year for a lot of work I did for stuff that we didn't have that existed at our school. And the librarian, she also would rep for the, the media fair stuff. So I got called the library and there had me and my friend, I co-directed the movie with, and, and he's like, they're like, look, can the two of you just be on your, the, the best behavior of your life till the end of this, this school year. And we're like, what's going on? Well, um, they were, they were, suspicious of us they were um thinking about suspending us they were thinking about making us go away like there's all and they they fought for us to keep us in like all sorts of crazy crap and he's like you don't know we're having this conversation okay because we are not supposed to be having this conversation with you we don't think it's fair to you we're going against our other staff but there were some teachers that you wouldn't believe went ballistic about you guys because of that movie you shot. We told them that you guys only believe it's entertainment. There's nothing to think about with you guys. And there was another kid it happened to just because he wore a trench coat. And so I was on what we called Columbine Watch the rest of the year for just making a a movie, which, yeah. But when the principal comes and is like, ha, this is cool. And then it's like, no, I get that you might want to, bring me in and ask me if everything's okay. I'll talk about Columbine, how it related to my video or something rather than should we kick these kids out of school right now? Like, yeah, but, uh, yeah. So that was my junior year of high school and yeah, it was crazy to know that, but I wasn't supposed to know that, but luckily he told me and stood by me. So yeah. As someone who's taught at the high school and college, levels and adjuncted for schools in addition to being like a full-time staff member and everything i gotta say nearly every first move any administration makes in response to something like that is wrong (laughs) they just they're just it could be the move that changes my mentality you know like kick him out of school like why you hate me for being me and then i go nuts you know like yeah it's shocking how wrong some of these People get it. Yeah. We couldn't just have a conversation. Bring me in a room with all these teachers. Let's just talk. Like, but no. Yeah. yeah and that's, I, I was actually, I was teaching when the Virginia Tech shooting happened. Mm-hmm. And that's on a college campus. It's somebody walking into a classroom. Yeah. Man, my, I taught at a women's college and my students were freaked out that day because. Okay. There's no, there was no plan. No, there's no institutional plan. There was no way we had a bunch of old buildings. There wasn't any kind of LinkedIn communication network where you could sound an alarm that you would hear 
everywhere. There was no way to, there's no central hub where you could do a public address, anything like that. There wasn't a, it, it was, there was nothing. And a lot of people were freaked out by the notion that this could start and happen in a building and they would have no idea it was going on, no idea to, to get out. But then, you know, 15 years or so later, I'm teaching high school and every teacher was required to have an app that had a panic button on it. And, you know, if you hit that panic button, everybody else's panic button was going to go off. It was going to go through, you know, the whole school in like two taps, you could set off an alarm that everybody would know the shit was going down. And Oh shit guys, I was trying to order a pizza. Fuck. But it took years for people to figure that stuff out. You know, yeah. So these these initial reactions, that's the that brings it back to all of this. These initial reactions are often so bad. And mm-hmm. you don't honestly, you don't hear much talk about teen suicide today. Yeah. It still happens, it's yep. still regular, it's still a problem, it's a leading cause of death, and we just don't talk about it, right. Unless there's something dependent on. <laughs> yeah, like well, that's what I'm saying. They have to have a reason. The reason's not there. Everybody is different. No one knows what goes on in people's head truly. You want to be able to relate to everything. You cannot relate to everything in life. Like it's it's a complex world. And they want simple answers. Yeah. And you know, the I, her name eludes me at the moment. I'm sorry, but the uh, former Miss USA who was a news correspondent that just uh jumped to her death over the the weekend Mm -hmm. that's a person who ostensibly has everything going for them from the outside beautiful professional connected deal living in a high-rise in new york you know and jumps to their death and yeah who the fuck knows what was going on in that poor soul's mind right but you try to rationalize that you can't rationalize a 14 year old any better oh hell no you know that's you're not <laughs> yeah and, and and the the bigger thing is like at least most adults are in touch with the idea of consequence yeah teenagers are fabulously famous for doing stupid crap <laughs> and the understanding of mortality yeah. <laughs> like that that's something that doesn't come to you till later like the realization of mortality like that's and even then i'm only 40 and i don't even know if i really know like a you know there's still more to learn. Every decade of my life, I've been like, oh, well, fuck. Yep. If I only knew what I knew then or whatever, and there's all that. Invest in Apple. Invest in Apple. Invest in Apple. There's this, uh, while we're on the suicide, another one, uh, gun suicide, of course. Uh, Jeffrey Jaklovich, he was 14. His suicide notes reported to have said, I want to go to the world of elves and fantasy and leave the world of conflict. Uh, because of this note, his death has been linked to D&D. Instead, as the note indicates, his desire to escape the world of conflict. That's what it, you know, yeah. had the note read, I want to go be with Jesus and leave the world of conflict. Would Jesus have been blamed? Or would everyone have said Jeffrey was just too frail a spirit to endure the trials and tribulations of this mortal coil? It can be column B, Alex. <laughs> column B. But yeah, that's another one like like if you switch it with something else is it if dungeons and dragons was uh, uh, like disney themed with mickey and all that stuff would it 
they've gone after it. Yeah. It's so ironic that all of this stuff is happening at the same time in in the 80s, all the things that we've talked about, all the components of the panic. And you mentioned the particular popularity of televangelists and how Mm -hmm. huge they were. But between the Bakers and Oral Roberts and Jimmy Swaggart, they all had a huge reckoning in the decade where they were all exposed as hypocrites. <laughs> right. Yeah. For one reason or another. And I, I have to think that that participated in some way in the fall of the panic. And by 90, I think we've talked about it before. You know, the McMartin case was over. The heavy metal suicide cases were over. They were starting to freak out about rap instead. And it kind of just drifted away. Yeah. And while school shootings had happened, I did not go to school in the 80s wondering if today was the day. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, no. Not a not a thing that you thought about. You know, yeah. As opposed to when I'm teaching high school, you think about it literally every day. Yeah. Whether you're passing through the security checkpoint or whether you have a lockdown drill or whether you, you every day you think about it. Is it because I, I wonder if it's because I mean these get reported, but on a national level, we get to hear them more to raise awareness that we should have had before. Yeah, the eighties, CNN had just started the twenty four hour news cycle. Mm-hmm. At this point, it was CNN launched in eighty one, I think. Yep. And so then you just you're just starting to experiment with that, but not multiple networks and Twitter and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, all the ways that you get news. Yeah. Um, and so people telling you what's important. What, what's a cause? What's this? Like, it's it's almost overloaded how many causes there are that I should be for, keep up with, do something about. It's, it can drive someone yeah. nuts, especially a teenager. Like, if they're on social media and stuff. Like, who knows? Yeah. The mind can only comprehend so much. Right. There's another kid here, and this is a little bit bigger one. Uh, Stephen Loyacano, who is the son of Roy's, Rosemary Loyacano, uh, Western Regional Director of BAD. And according to his mother on uh, KF, KFYI Radio in 1987, an occult recruiter used D&D to lure her son into the world of Satanism. After his death in 82 of carbon monoxide poisoning... Um, Rosemary said she found occult books, occult pornography, symbols from black masses, including altar cloths and candles hidden in her son's room. That's just a a jackpot. Uh, (laughs) She said that uh, friends of his said he had engaged in rituals and animal sacrifices. As she searched his room and looked in drawers, she found his writings, which she describes as horrible. Ted Schwartz and Dwayne... MP chronicle Stephen's case in their book Satanism. Uh, they withhold his name, but the age, location, method of death, and details supplied in publication statements by the family all clearly point to his identity. Throughout his journey through a maze of fantasy, isolation, and ultimate madness, they splice its selections from his diaries. While the entries are undated, they do seem consistent and are certainly reveal a youth feeling increasingly isolated as he stumbled through his teen years. The report, his introduction to 
They reported his introduction to DVD came when he was 14 years old. His introduction to the occult happened sometime after he had started playing the game. It says, lonely, despite loving parents who would have reached out to him if he had expressed what was in his head, he began looking for ways to change. During one of the games, a friend called upon Satan as a way of winning. He asked for satanic powers, and he won the game. As a result, the authors say Stephen made a pact with the devil, promising him his own and 20 other souls within the next 30 years. In exchange, Stephen was to be given invisibility, the ability to shapeshift, to stop time, to fly, to levitate objects, and to cast hellfire. He began to browse occult bookshops without his parents' knowledge and began to read on mythology, fantasy, and the occult. Unlike Mrs. Loicano, the authors do not mention occult group involvement. They only mention one other friend as going to the bookstores to him and no detail and detail no ceremonies or sacrifices. The book goes on to say in retrospect his parents realized that they probably should have gotten more involved with their son, but they knew from their friends that all teenagers have a tendency to withdraw from their parents and on the surface uh, he still seemed to enjoy family activities, camping and church. Later, they note, he gave no warning signs to his family, his friends, or his teachers, other than his declining grades. What was important, the diary, his drawings, even ritual objects such as daggers he had purchased, were all so carefully hidden that even prying, a prying mother would probably not have found them. He used hollowed-out books for many of the treasures. His actions were furtive. His pact with Satan, too personal for him to want anything to discover the truth. The suggestion that he had given his family no clues that something was wrong is contradicted by a quote from his sister in Newsweek in 85. The family knew something was wrong with him when he took down his Cheryl Ladd posters and replaced them with pictures of demons. Uh, the family has asserted throughout that Stephen killed himself because he could not resolve the conflict between his desire to shed blood for his love of, and his love for his family. He was afraid that he would kill them and decided instead to kill himself. His suicide note as reprinted in Satanism only hints at that being his motive in the last paragraph, which says, My death is one that could be, have been avoided. I could have lived for a long time here with you building the foundation for my future existence, but something went wrong. My senses began to sharpen rapidly and to live live became a discomfort. I was caught between the hatred for this world and the thirst for blood. My plight for evil became stagnant. The only instinct was to act and act fast, so ending my so ending my life. Stephen was clearly a disturbed boy, but did D and D cause his death? I tend to think not. D and D may have sparked an interest in a cult but it did not kill him. In fact, nothing in bad or NCTV publications, the discussion with Rosemary Loicano or the book Satanism discussed, suggests Stephen was anything more remarkable than a teenager who was consumed by isolation and depression. That was a long one, oh. but... I gotta say, there's always one, right? Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, for all of the cases that you, you got, you go through and you kind of relentlessly mm-hmm. point out there's, there's someone that's, you know... Even if someone is into the occult stuff, yeah. it still doesn't mean. I mean, and, yeah, the occult. That is separate things. Like you yeah. could be, you could be an occultist and play Dungeons and Dragons. You could play Dungeons and Dragons and not lead to the occult. Like, right? You could to, to be both. Who really has the time? I mean, right. You, <laughs> you, you could play shoots and ladders and wind up in the occult. Like, like that kid could have been into. Let's say he was into Dallas at the time, and the occultist knew that and used Dallas as a way to get him into the occult. Like, oh, we know who shot JR. 
you, know, you want to know how to things, bring him back? A, a couple of things uh, suggest themselves from that story. It was uh, number one, movies and whatnot really want you to believe that there's an easily accessible occult bookstore in every city. Like right, my, yeah. my favorite, my favorite being in the Howling, when not only do they go there to get all the information, but they got silver bullets on deck. Right. Uh, <laughs> and. But um, Rupert the, Giles doesn't have bookshops all over the nation. I'm sorry. Like he just. Right. Well, I, I Buffy have decided to franchise. And, but, you know, also, if if I were making a deal, the the Cheryl Ladd posters would have stayed. Yeah. I'm sorry, Satan, but. Uh, <laughs> that's too far, Satan. That's, that's a bridge too far. <laughs> nope. Cheryl stays, man. But what? And that's kind of funny. What year was that? This is probably like 80 early 80s or yeah because charlie's angels ends in like 82 83 and then tanny roberts is in beastmaster so it's got it's almost like a contextually out of date mm-hmm. yeah it's 82 october 82 is his death okay so right about yeah yeah i guess she'd have still been on charlie's angels but it was that's... in syndication you know yeah well, you know, I, I I think it's funny sometimes when people talk about the the fandom of, of others and like what posters would have been on their walls at a certain time, um, especially when you watch the films and and whatnot. That contextually, a lot of them are wrong, <laughs> right? For the for the for the year. And no, of course, yeah. Or or like it was it's cool retroactively, but nobody had it then. Yeah. Oh, you're. I know exactly what you're talking about. The thing poster in Stranger Things season yep, one. Yep. <laughs> that always I was like. Oh, also, also Stranger Things season one when Jonathan is talking to Will about the Smiths, and that's mm-hmm. 1984. That that was not released in the states at that point. I think they've had, <laughs> I think they've had some song cues too that have been off, but still an enjoyable uh, yeah. show. Just I like I, I, some some things will take me out for a sec because I'm that nerd that's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Well, I, I I like the wedding singer, but there that's one of those movies that pretends that all of the eighties happened at once. Yeah. Yes. Oh indeed. That one's super guilty of that, but I I do love that movie. Um yeah. but yeah, and like I guess oh, what was it? They had some movies playing at that theater in season three of Stranger Things. So I was like, Really? That made it there? Okay. Hawkins, yeah. Indiana. Hawkins I got Indiana. Day of the Dead. Okay. I do remember Day of the Dead did play in Terre Haute. Okay, so, well, then it works. Then it works. There, there we had one theater, The Village, that would tend to show more of that stuff. I um, I know Dawn of the Dead hardly played anywhere. Yeah, because well, um, it was it was unrated. But it did play midnight shows at The Village for a while. Okay. And, and uh, what, maybe... And that was That's a 78 film, but I think this is like 80, 81 that it played midnight showings there. Yeah, it would have been a post-release. So it had been like a Rocky situation like a rocky horror situation where you have the, gotcha. the print of the movie and you could play it at midnight <laughs> okay okay that's yeah we just have it laying around it's archive stuff um so our la the last person they name drop is a michael dempsey the 17 year old son of retired seattle policeman <clears throat> patrick dempsey not the same guy. hey wait a minute yep so he is uh, one of the authors of the bad publication about D&D. So sorry, McDreamy. NCTV says of Michael's May 81 suicide, that 
parents witnessed him summoning D&D demons only moments before killing himself. In a 85 release, uh, Chicago Tribune clarifies that a bit, saying, Michael shot himself in the head only hours after his parents discovered him in his room as he invoked demons from the game. And then Newsweek did a story and said, following an argument with his father, he shot himself to death. So Newsweek is like, nah, we're not into that. Uh, Rosemary Leocano in 87 said she had spoken with Patrick Dempsey and that the argument concerned Michael spending too much time programming D&D into a computer. So Bad has assumed that because the argument concerned the game, that this is the reason Michael killed himself. The idea that fighting with his father might have emotionally affected him and caused his suicide. Whatever the cause of the fight seems to have slipped away from importance. If he and his father had been arguing about sports or schoolwork, it's a safe bet that neither of those things would have been blamed for his death. Exactly. A lot of these, like, parents trying to take away something that a child is passionate about, it means a lot to them. And then he manifested demons. Yeah, but we yeah, we witnessed we witnessed his demons, and then like the woman finding like all the books, all the demons. One was hiding. There was this little tiki statue, and then this up there, and he had this under the wallpaper. There was black paint and messages, and the black light came on, and all this, and Satan came in and asked if I wanted a cookie. Like, come on, like this the embellishment of this shit, and just making up. Like, how do you feel making this shit up? Like. Do they just double down on stupid and buy into it and just, like, believe the lie, I guess? But, like, man, they're just angry about their kids and they're really going after Dungeons & Dragons because maybe a lawsuit can come and they can be millionaires off the lawsuit. Yeah. Um, it's tragic. It's legitimate. It really tragic. is. I'm not poking fun at these people's deaths or the seriousness of them, I'm poking at the ridiculousness of the nature of the parents and the blame and not pointing at themselves. And, you know, you, you mentioned the the one case, um, but, and, you know, we'll be talking about another case in another segment, mm -hmm. but every once in a while, you get the legit article. And I've, you and I have talked about this both briefly on camera and off, but mm -hmm. Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, right? The ruthless serial killer, rapist, child molester. He's everything horrible. And he was obsessed with satanic stuff. And he also happened to listen to metal. Yep. <laughs> but the, the fact that he was a serial killer and out of his goddamn mind is a much bigger thing. Right. Than than you know acdc that he had an acdc hat but that guy you could say is maybe the legitimate article in as much as he believes that he's a satanic serial killer mm -hmm. but that's one dude out of you know all of these other cases be it suicide murders or everything i think a lot of people would point to Dahmer as the worst of the worst and he never professed any of that kind of stuff right yeah he was just a sick evil bastard you know it was just the the ties that pe people and uh, you know, we've said it earlier in this people look for meaning they look for patterns when patterns aren't there and when they've made a decision they hold on to it whether evidence to the contrary or not it's really hard yeah we see that now today with a lot of conspiracy stuff or anything when someone is in a thing it's very hard to dissuade them or mm -hmm. show them Otherwise, yeah, but, they're lost. 
Big time. Yeah. yeah. And and some of those people are just people with nothing better to do. These are parents that lost their kids, which makes them incredibly susceptible to suggestion. Mm-hmm. And, and, and going both, like what happens, like because 12 kids did this, you take a game away for 4 million people who seem to have no problem with it. And what if you take that away, it, it angers them and they'll go find something else that you're not going to like. Just like it goes the other way too. Like there are stupid people with bad opinions and awful information out there that I don't like. But if you take them away, we don't have world peace tomorrow. And yeah, um, they go there. Those people aren't going to be like, "Oh, you you saved me." They're going to go find it somewhere else, which it probably more dangerous corners as well. Like it's a sad yeah. state of affairs on both ends of the teeter totter. But yeah. that's how it is. There's a great scene in a movie that, you know, I feel very conflicted about. Uh, Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah. When Forrest decides to stop running. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, I think I'll go. I'm tired. I want to go home. And right. All the people that have been following them get angry. Right. And they're like, what are we supposed to do now? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, you go home too. Yeah, this they they try to push with D&D that it's not just a game, it's behavior modification. That's what it's yeah. different. That's its difference. But I mean, isn't Monopoly you're in the role of like a banker or a buyer or a sell like it's it's more well, subtly there. That that sort of thing has always been more socially acceptable in America. Mm-hmm. You the aspiration to be rich right. is okay. <laughs> gold coins and shit in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> There's currency. Right. But, you know, it, it's the same. It, it's it's sort of the same thing as in in the American educational system. It, it's okay to want to be an athlete. It's not okay to want to be in theater. Yeah. It's, well, it's okay. It's, it's cool to play fantasy football, but playing Dungeons and Dragons, nerd. Yeah. Is there a nerdier pursuit than fantasy sports that right. requires the day-to-day tracking of stats and the maneuvering of players in a obsessive fashion. Yeah. Look at that dork dressed in a Starfleet uniform, he says, laughing in his Dan Marino jersey. That's right. Like, You're painted half orange, half blue. <laughs> You know, and I'm I'm a sports fan, and I just the the irony does not escape me that you know. Yeah, I I don't I you know I I enjoy sports as well. Like, but I found like the movie people like will distant like oh you like a sport like try to make you feel bad about that. Like, dude, don't play that game. You're being them again. Like that's it's not how it works. Like I can enjoy a, a athletic competition. It's okay. Like. It's a it's a dork thing. Like I'll call it a, a dweeby thing as well. Like here, I'll I'll interject a personal experience with when I was in fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is eighty three, eighty four. We were playing D and D on some lunches, and one of the uh, we were, you know it was a uh, AT class, like a you know one of those gifted program kind of things. But so we had a program coordinator. The only reason I need to mention it is to establish the program coordinator comes in. Okay. And she comes into the classroom one day on one of her visits and she sees 
uh, Matt Sherwood's stack of rule books and shit on top of the little remember those module uh, coat closets that have oh, wheels on them. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's like his stack of stuff is up there for the stuff didn't come out mm-hmm. unless it was recess or like a free time. Otherwise it, okay. it stayed up there. But when she saw it, man, she flipped out <laughs> and it was uh, like, we, you know, we couldn't have those here and we could play. And you know, there's all kinds of reasons that people get obsessed with it and everything. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> They're sitting there. <laughs> right. It's literally a stack of books. It was like like the stack of books was radiating evil or whatnot. It was it was weird. It was weird to witness. It was weird to witness as like, you know, yeah. Ten, eleven year old to sit there and like, what are you on about? That whole kind of thing. But we we couldn't do it. You know, it got yanked. Duh. So mm-hmm. you know, uh, You'd think ostensibly it'd be like a very harmless thing to do during mm-hmm. like, it, it's funny because you had to go outside for recess unless it was raining. So like we'd set up in a corner, like mm. in the shade by the doors, right. you know, it'd be like guys that around like their character sheets of dice and shit, you know, it's yeah. like, it, more um, unobtrusive activity. You cannot imagine, you know, none of us were going to break our arm on the monkey bars and that's <laughs> But then that's funny, you know. But, but it, we got we got busted. Um, so yeah, but that, that was in the throes of this and mazes and monsters era and everything. And Damn. but I remember people like in, in middle school and so forth, people bringing their books when the mm-hmm. when TSR really rapidly expanded the books that they had out, like the um grimoire and the uh oriental adventures book and things like that those were drifting around school pretty regular like when i was in junior high and high school and nobody ever said anything about the novels no like the the dragon lance or the salvatore books or anything nobody said anything about that like books for books the dragon lance chronicles i read the first couple of those remember those i was like those would make good movies too man (laughs) lord of the rings stuff kind of get through this uh report this this thing you can yeah, find yeah. it you can find it on youtube it's 14 minutes granted we have talked for like an hour and 15 about it but everybody here that is the cause of a D violence is dead there's no living people to have a person like who attacked people or killed people and is behind bars say yeah D was the reason i did they're all dead so it's everybody making up what they think is the reason for it. It's all dead people. There's no, there's no living, there's no survivors. There's no, it's all speaking for the dead. They're not speaking for any living people. There's nobody to defend themselves or shed light on anything. And much of it seems to hint towards kids upset at parents and peers for making them feel like outcasts, like, or having that passionate thing taken away from them or causing family rifts more than it is Dungeons and Dragons. That's what I, I take away from this, looking at it in 2022 back at 1985. Yeah, and I look at it and uh, it, it taken together, which we'll probably get to the Geraldo special at some point well. <laughs> in the series. Um, but when you take all those things together, what a failure of TV journalism to advocate on behalf of the kids across yeah. the board. That not once did they 
It's a, it, it, I recently watched the uh, 2020 report with Diane Sawyer, like the update of a case from a few years ago where the kids had been in captivity to their parents for many years and they're, they were all emaciated and their vocabulary was undeveloped and everything. And they finally um, one night snuck one of the girls out and she flagged down a police car with a cell phone that they'd obtained and she'd taken pictures of her siblings chained to the beds and whatnot. Mm. They went in and throughout that story, I felt like so much sympathy was there for the kids and just really it was it was advocacy journalism. It's like, look at the terrible things that happened to these kids. Look at what you know happened and look at how the system screwed them after they escaped. You know, the parents went to jail and everything, but all this aid and everything they're promised never came through and all that. And, but it made me think about the context of the stuff that we're doing. Like, man, nobody was taken up for the kids. They showed them playing the game and make them look like idiots. Like, or, or just, they don't like, they don't know what's good, what's happening to them or something. Like it's, it's in a, a place of pity or a place of like thinking they're crying for help. But yeah. 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 There's no pro Dungeons and Dragons in this report at all. Like it is, it yeah. is compassionate to these accusers and, and they're the ones like raging and everything like that. And the Dungeons and Dragons guys are like, you are wasting our fucking time. Like that's what yeah. they're kind of like. And they, they go hard at them. They don't go hard at the parents at all. They're like, yeah. Granted, they have children that are dead, but they should ask, like, were there other things? Like, what, you know? Yeah. And as we see history has unfolded, it there was other things. There yeah. was stuff they weren't telling people. There was stuff they clipped out of reports or didn't care to mention then, you know? Yeah, and I believe it was uh, Robert Plant. Uh, well, both Robert Plant and Ozzy have different um, takes on the same quote. Like... Mm-hmm. If you're an entertainer, whether you're making games or you're making music or whatnot, you don't design something that makes your fans kill themselves. Right. And Plant specifically said, if we were going to put something backwards on one of our records, it would have been buy more records. Right. You wanted <laughs> you, you wanted them to buy your shit. Yeah. You're, you don't want your fans to kill themselves. That's unless you're that's, serving the Dark Lord. You're yeah, serving well, him, like. That well, they did a poor job of it because it was yeah. like a dozen as out of four million. So, got twelve souls better than none, right? Like I, ugh, like yeah, no, but yeah. So that was yeah, that was this report that it just it's insane to watch. Go back, watch. It's fourteen minutes of your time, and it's just crazy to see a news story like this that is just extremely dated itself and looks outright wow irresponsible. That's what it looks like. And this was a yeah, this is a pretty deep and personal episode here going on. I really enjoy going over this with you, Troy. Yeah, and that, that'll do it for this segment of Products of the Panic. Uh, Troy, loving doing this. This is good. This is yes. We've had uh, technically three, but two uh, yeah. so far. Um, but look forward to the next one. Uh, where can people find and keep up with you in the meantime? I am a staff writer for the Saturday Evening Post. Yes, the historic 200 years old Saturday Evening Post, which can be found at SaturdayEveningPost.com. And you can find me at Troy Brownfield on Twitter, among other places. All right. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at BrandonForkyUHD, written work at There is more from the Brandon Peter Show this very week. But until then, hail Satan. Thank you for listening. 
The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.